Hey guys, it's time for Nina's Got Good News. Nina's a former TV news gal who used to share all the news. Now, as a mom and small businesswoman, she wants to share only the good stuff. It's time to brighten your day. So here's your host, Nina B. Clark. Welcome back, everyone. How are you? Thank you all so much for being here and showing up and supporting positive stories and positive people and good news in the audio space. You guys are the best. I hope you're all having a good fall so far. So here we are, podcast number 93. Oh my gosh, I can't believe we made it this far. It's all been a blur though for me, right? That's what happens with your third baby, the podcast. So episode 93 today focuses on an important topic that really is important for all parents and even grandparents too. We're talking about our kids and their devices. One really important resource that helped me and my husband, Jeff, tremendously when we were considering a smartphone for our son, Charlie, was called Wait Until Eighth. I'm not even really sure how I found Wait Until Eighth, but maybe because they've been featured on the Today Show, Good Morning America, so many amazing media outlets have picked up on Wait Until Eighth. But this is a campaign that empowers parents to rally together to delay giving their children a smartphone until eighth grade. Wait Until Eighth is an amazing resource as we all have to navigate the digital world that includes social media. It can be a lot, right? It can be a little bit scary for parents. Yikes. Well, the founder of Wait Until Eighth, Brooke Shannon, is is a mom of three girls, and she's made this her work to help other parents keep their children protected and keep our children safe. I really want to thank Brooke for being that mom. And I only wish that she lived closer to me so that we could be mom friends in real life because she really is an incredible resource and she's a gem. Here is my recent conversation with Brooke Shannon, the founder of Wait Until Eighth from Austin, Texas. And Brooke, thank you so much for joining us today from Austin, Texas. How are you? How are you doing? How's your fall going? It's going great. Thanks so much for having me. I'm glad we could connect on this afternoon. Yeah, it's so good to see you. And um, I just want to thank you so much personally as a mom for being such an incredible resource for me as we were navigating um, my son's first smartphone as he was turning 13. I don't even remember how I found you, but I'm lucky that I found you and your website and your Instagram. And you've just been such an incredible resource that I really just wanted to share what I've learned through you guys today on the podcast, because I just, the more I was sharing with friends and, you know, when I was sharing it on my Instagram, more and more people were reaching out to me saying like, oh my gosh, I'm going through this too, or I'm about to go through it. And I don't even know where to begin. So I keep pointing them in your direction. So I thought I really need to connect with Brooke today um, and share more of all of your incredible advice for all of us, because we're kind of all in this together. And it is, I kept saying, it's like a shark tank, you know, and you're like, you're going into this shark pool and you don't even really know where to begin. So let's start at the beginning, Brooke, when, and why did you guys start wait until eighth? How did that even happen to begin with? Well, several years ago, um, we were facing the challenge that every family goes through. And that is when are we going to get our kids a smartphone? And at the time, my kids were pretty little. They were in third grade, second grade and in preschool. And they already had friends with the latest iPhones, believe it or not. And to me, that just seemed to be so young. Um, I just knew my gut that I didn't want to go there yet. So I kept saying not yet when I would get the question every couple of weeks about the smartphone. And then one day I was, um, 
driving past our local middle school where my daughters would go one day where they are now actually. And I saw all these kids come out of school with their heads down, completely captivated by their online world. And as a mom, it just made me sad to think that this was the road ahead, that either they would be one of the kids with their heads down looking at a phone, or they would be one of the few with their heads up unless something changed. And so that evening, I just emailed out a group of parents um, from our local school just to take their temperature on this topic to see what they were thinking. And so many parents said that they wanted to hold off, but what they had heard from other parents or something they had experienced themselves with um, their older children is that eventually the pressure to have these devices just gets to be too much. You start to feel like your kid's the only one without one and you don't want them to be isolated. And so that was like the number one reason I kept hearing parents say why they ended up caving on the phone decision. Um, but out of this discussion came this idea, well, what if we said not yet together? What if we said, let's hold off until a certain time together? And then that peer pressure aspect is removed um, from the equation. And that's really how Wait Until Eight started. Um, we decided we, won we wanted to hold off until a certain period of time. And we kind of went back and forth and when that magical age would be. And um, we did some research and what a lot of child psychologists and internet safety experts and what technology executives are doing in their own home is somewhere between 14 and 16 is like the magical age to wait till. And in our own community, we had kids as young as, you know, first grade with smartphones. So the idea of waiting until 16 didn't seem feasible to our group, but um, 14, which is about eighth grade, seemed within reach. And that got us through all of elementary school without smartphones and most of middle school. And then those families that wanted to have a year of transitioning before high school to teach their kids how to use smartphones, um, that provided that opportunity. And um, that's how Wait Until Eighth started. Yeah, and how, how do your three daughters feel about Wait Until Eighth? How are they feeling about it? I'm just curious, mom to mom here. Yeah, so it's been so much a part of their life for years now. It's just second nature at this point. But um, at the time, um, I think because I started it when they were a lot younger, I think it would have been harder if I had started it when they were like in seventh grade. Um, but when I started it, my oldest was only in third grade. And at first she was like, mom, why are you doing this? And and I just, I told her, I was, you know, Grace, we are waiting no matter what, like we are not giving you a smartphone next year or the year after that, or the year after that. So wouldn't it be so much easier to wait with friends? And when I shared that perspective with her, she got it. Like she doesn't want to be the only one without one. And it is easier to have friends that don't have them. And because of the campaign, so many families waited with us um, and our school district alone, we had more than 500 people sign the pledge. So that makes a big difference. Not everybody signed it, obviously, but a good, a good chunk of kids did. And that made it easier um, for my girls. And um, I think they've also just um, through conversations that we've had about the why, like why we're waiting and the stories I've shared with them about um, what can happen with these devices if you have them too early. I think that that makes a huge difference too, because they understand the why now as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's super important. And then I've just been so excited to see all the press you get, you know, you guys have, you know, you're, you're featured on the today show and all sorts of stuff. So it's just really amazing how much 
positive attention you guys have um, gotten and just how much traction your campaign has gotten along the way. I think it's great. So Brooke, tell us a little bit about those actual dangers. Like what are the actual dangers of giving a child a smartphone too early? I mean, realistically speaking, what are those actual dangers? Yes. So there's, I mean, there's so many reasons to wait. Uh, My big hesitation of giving this device too early was just what was going to happen with all that time that they were spending on the phone? What is being sacrificed? So um, because of the smartphone, kids are spending um, between um, four and seven hours a day on entertainment um, on screens. And something's got to give. So kids are spending less time outside. They're spending less time in person with their friends. They're spending less time reading. Um, They're spending less time um, as a family. And for me, I would rather my kid be outside running around and my kid hanging out with their friends, my kid being with me, my kid being bored even than being on a screen constantly. And so that was my main um, reason for wanting to hold off. I want my kids to be kids longer and I want them to experience the magic of childhood longer. And they have the rest of their lives to be connected to these devices and other devices. And I just don't see the hurry. Um, There's a lot of um, research out there too that shows that if you give a child a smartphone earlier in childhood, the more likely they're going to be exposed to all sorts of dangers. Um, one being cyberbullying. Um, there is a study out there that shows that if a child gets a smartphone in elementary school versus later in childhood, they're more likely either to be a cyberbully or to be in, um, to be a victim of cyberbullying. So there's that. Um, there is the potential for your child to be exposed to sexual content content, um, whether that be pornography or sexting or even being pursued by a sexual predator. So there's some real real dangers on that front too. And there's a lot of research out there as well about the impact that these devices have on um, mental health. And a lot of times with a smartphone, it's kind of a package deal with social media and that and soon afterwards, kids are not only getting smartphones, but shortly after that is when the social media kicks in. And we know from research that the more time kids spend on social media, the more anxious they could be, and the more um, likely they could be depressed, suicidal thoughts. Um, I mean, suicide alone for girls between the ages of 10 and 14 has skyrocketed over the past decade. Um, and it's really linked to the rise of smartphones and social media. So the longer we can hold off on delaying the devices, I think it's better for our kiddos. It's better for their mental health. It's better for their bodies. It's better for um, the relationships. It's better for their sleep. I mean, kids are waking up at all hours of the night just to check these phones because they're concerned that they've missed something. Um, So there's so many reasons to wait. Um, And I don't think any kid's going to look back on their childhood and think, gosh, I really wish I had my smartphone earlier, or I wish I had Snapchat or Instagram or TikTok earlier. I think in hindsight, they're going to be thankful for um, the years that we are giving them without all these distractions. Right. And we know because we grew up without them. So we know what they're missing out on. But so why do you think that there's resistance from parents? Do you think it's mainly, and I did hear this from some of my friends and followers when I was talking about Mm -hmm. this topic they expressed that they're, they were worried about making their kids, you know, social outcasts or, you know, making them like a pariah socially. And then maybe the, maybe their child would turn on them and get mad at us. 
in turn, because we were holding back on giving them the smartphone. So do you think that is where the resistance is from parents is that they're worried about their kids' social lives or what do you think it is? Um, I think it's a host of different issues. I think there's a group of parents that, you know, they, they want to be able to get in touch with their child um, whether that's because they're going from mom and dad's house and they are, have late soccer practice or dance practice and they want their ability to get in touch with their child. And in those situations, I really encourage families to look at either watches or starter phones and really start off with like a device with training wheels on it, essentially, and not give them a fully loaded smartphone with all the bells and whistles. If you, the purpose is to get them something to connect you to, um, then to look at just a starter phone, I think is great. And we have some great options on the Wait Till 8th website. Um, but then there, I think there's also what you're talking about, that parents don't want their kids to feel isolated and um, they don't want their kids to be left out of group text, et cetera. And I think there's creative ways to go about that. Um, I think that for the most part that you can facilitate your kids feeling connected to their peers um, in elementary school without any devices. I really don't think it's necessary to have any type of texting or any of that in elementary school. Um, but as they go into middle school, if you wanted to provide an avenue for them to connect with their friends um, online, um, you could do that through iMessage on a tablet at home and um, just on an iPad and you can take everything else off that iPad and have that be an avenue for your for your kid to text. Um, we've also talked to parents who've given their phone number and the kid can text with their friends in middle school through their mom or dad's phone. There's other ways to go about it. Um, but I do like having an on-ramp and if you have like a tablet where they're just texting, then that's gonna be confined to a certain space and they're not gonna be walking around with it. And when they're at the park or they're at basketball practice or whatever it may be, they're not gonna be connected to it. But when they get to go, when they go home, they'd have an opportunity to connect with their peers and not feel isolated. So that's one way to think about it as well if they're worried about their kid being left out. But I do think there's so many different ways that we as parents can facilitate um, connecting our kids to their peers. And that a lot of times starts with us trying to be proactive, like having their friends over to our, our house and being the hosting family and volunteering to drive them to the movies or to bowling or whatever the interest may be. Um, but just creating space for our kids to be with their friends in person, I think is huge. Yeah, that's great. I feel like you're the best mom, Brooke. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> Taking notes over here. This is so helpful. Thank you so much. Let's talk a little bit about um, social media because you mentioned that earlier. So let's start with just the basics. What is the actual age requirement for some of these platforms that they want to get on? Like, because a lot of people don't really realize that there is an age requirement associated with social media channels for our children. So let's start with, let's yeah. start with that. That's the basics, right? Let's the start there. Yeah, so the basics is that the minimum age is 13, yet, as we know, we have all kinds of kiddos that are under 13 that are on these platforms. Uh, but I really do think that even 13 is too young. And even if you look at what technology executives and these families that are in this business are doing with their own kids, their kids are not on social media. They're nowhere near social media. And it's because their parents know it's not good for them. 
These platforms were designed for adults. They were not designed for children. And our children are not ready for Instagram. They're not ready for TikTok. They're not ready for Snapchat. And when we put them in an environment that they're not ready for, it's going to lead to trouble and all kinds of potential issues. Um, so I really do encourage families to hold off on social media for their kids all through elementary school and all through middle school. Um, we recommend at wait till eight, holding off until 16, actually. Um, for 16 the- for all of those Instagram, TikTok yeah. and Snapchat, 16. So I would hold off till 16. Think about it in this way. Driving before socializing online is how I like to remember it, that we want our kids to be actually driving, be mature. Um, before we put them on these platforms. And when we do, we want to take it slowly. We don't want to throw it all at them at once. And um, we want to teach them how to use it responsibly and most importantly, moderately. Mm-hmm. Um, you mean- so that means you're recommending you get the phone first with no social media apps on it. You get the smartphone at 13 or eighth grade, yeah. 13 or eighth grade, depending on your kid's um, situation. Yeah. And then- you wait until 16 to add the social media apps onto that smartphone, correct? So it's like you're doing it in phases in a way, right? In stages, right? Absolutely. You're, you're taking it in phases. And when you, I even recommend to you when you give your kid that first smartphone, taking off the internet browser as well until they can demonstrate some, some, some responsibility and maturity. Um, and then when you do add the internet browser on the phone, putting a screen time limit in place so they, they can't be on it for hours. Maybe it's 30 minutes or whatever you decide as a family. But putting- and you do that in your settings, right? Brooke, you go yeah. to your settings. I, I learned this from you on your Instagram, yeah. but you go to your settings and that's where you can put in the screen time limitations, right? Exactly. So okay. you can go in, if your kid has an iPhone, um, you can go into the Apple screen time and you can set up a curfew in there. You can set up limits um, in regards to how much time you want on there. So for example, um, my eighth grader and seventh grader, they don't have phones yet, but they text on their iPads and I have it set up through Apple screen time where they're limited to 45 minutes a day um, to texting. And that seems severe to some people, but there's only so much time in the day and they're at school from eight to four. I don't want them texting and they don't even have it with them at school because it's an iPad at home, but they're at school and they have activities and they have homework and I want to spend time with them too. And so 45 minutes for our family is a healthy limit and you can set that all up through Apple screen time. And the goal is Nina is like, as your child gets older, these limits that we are putting in place will teach them moderation, will teach them what it's healthy to do attack, and you'll start to pull back. And the ultimate goal is for them to self-moderate to when they graduate, um, the screen time controls aren't going to be on their phone anymore, that they'll be able to handle this responsibly, that they'll be able to know what is a moderate use of technology, that they'll know what's safe to do online. So that's our ultimate goal, but we can't expect a 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 year old to handle this technology uh, without limits in place. Like as adults, we can't even handle it. It's hard, right? It's hard to shut it down. And it's because it was engineered that way. Uh, People in Silicon Valley make money the more time we spend on all these platforms. And so it's set up in a way to keep us coming back for more. Our kids need to understand that and we need to help them with putting limits in place as far as downtime, 
um, what they can do on the phone, make it more of just a communication device and less of a toy by taking off the internet browser, by taking off the app store. And that's another huge um, way to keep your kids safe on these phones is disabling their ability to download whatever app they want because there are millions of apps and all kinds of ways to get in trouble. And if you're giving that responsibility to your child, you're opening up too many avenues into your child's heart and um, through the app store that could end in all kinds of disasters. So I really encourage families to take off the app store and to vet any app before they allow the child to have it on the phone. Yeah, that's great advice. Now, when you were talking earlier about, you know, the executives, they don't let their, um, they don't let their kids have these smartphones or social media. So we learned a lot about this um, in the documentary on Netflix, and it's now also on YouTube, but the social dilemma, many of us watched that. And I was a little bit horrified by what I, what I learned from that documentary. I learned so much though. It was really fascinating, but you were talking about how they, they made these apps addicting to kids. And what I just don't understand exactly is like, how did they do that? Yeah. Like, it, it's like they were saying, they were saying, it's almost like, you know, it's almost like gambling in Vegas, like that adrenaline, like you want more, you want more. And like, how did they do that? That it's so addicting for kids. I still don't totally understand that concept. Yes. Well, yes, they've used a lot of the tactics that they use in Vegas with gambling that keep people coming back for more and more. And so like one example that they did with, um, with Snapchat, for example, is they have the snap streak and you know, every day that you're connected with somebody via Snapchat, um, you have a communication that adds to your streak. And so kids will go on just so they can get their streak met. And then once they're on the platform, that leads to them doing other things, but you have kids that if they're on, let's say their phone's taken away, they will give their password to a friend so they can go in and keep their streak going. Or if they're at summer camp, same deal. Um, but it's all these little things that were created to keep you going back to these platforms. And I think it's so important for kids to understand that because I think once kids understand that in a way they're being manipulated to be on there, then they'll be on guard um, in that respect, as far as being a little bit more deliberate and intentional with how they're spending their time on these platforms. Um, yeah. I think that's, that's a key, key conversation to have with your kids. It's just that we know from research, the more time you spend on social media, the more likely you're going to be anxious, the more likely that you're going to be exposed to this content. So if we are going to allow our kids to be on the platforms, eventually we need to keep in mind that how much time they spend on them matters. It matters if they spend 10 minutes a day on Instagram versus three hours a day on Instagram. The kid that spends 10 minutes a day on Instagram is going to have a different outlook on themselves and others than the kid that spends three hours a day on Instagram. They just mm -hmm. will. Yeah. Well, we learned, we're learning so much and it's all coming out recently in the news about um, this whistleblower from Facebook and the whistleblower alleging that the company was aware of various problems caused by the apps, um, including the Instagram and potential toxic effect it's having on um, teen girls. And I know since you have three girls and I have one girl, I just wanted to get your reaction to everything we're learning from this whistleblower, because I know for me as a girl mom, it was very upsetting and disturbing, but I wanted to see what you, what your reaction was to all of it. I'm so thankful that she came out and she shared all of this important information. I'm hoping that 
um, these Facebook files um, will be a wake up call to parents out there and that it will give parents pause before they allow their child on a platform that is aware that it has a detrimental impact on girls. They have internal research that shows that their platform, Instagram, basically makes one out of three girls feel bad about themselves. They know this, and yet they continue to target young girls. Um, so I think it's, I'm hoping that this will lead um, to more um, caution by parents to, um, delay when they let their child get on this platform because it really was not created for your 12 year old, your 13 year old, your 14 year old or 15 year old. It's just, it's not good for their mental health. It's not good for um, how they feel about themselves. And I think there's like this myth out there that at a certain point you have to permit this in order for them to be connected to their friends. And it's not true. There's other ways for your children to be connected to their peers um, without having to be on Instagram and TikTok and Snapchat. They can text each other. And I know that there's certain, there's like a certain um, framework out there that says kids don't text anymore. They only do it on all these different platforms. And it's just not true. If kids want to talk and connect, they will find whatever avenues are available to them. But if you're going to provide those, of course, they're going to jump on those. But if you're limiting it to texting and FaceTime and hopping on the phone, they will do that if that's what's provided to them. Yeah, that's so that's so important. That's such a good point. So what are your thoughts on Instagram kids? I know that it's been put on hold. I watched the um, head of Instagram make that announcement on his um, Instagram page saying that they're pausing it for now. Um, Instagram kids, which would be a whole nother platform, but what's your take on Instagram kids right now? I am not a fan of Instagram kids. I think it's just an on-ramp for their company to get more, um, more people using their product and it's not good for our kids. Um, it's just, they're just not ready for social media. Um, regardless if it's stripped down of inappropriate content or not, it's just more of how social media is built that's not right for our kids. And so they can call it Instagram kids or Instagram kitties or whatever they want to call it, but it's not for my kids and it shouldn't be for your kids. It should not be for kids. Um, and I wish that they would put the safety of our children first ahead of profits, but we know from these files that that's not the case. So. Yeah. I, I think that's, that's but you, your perspective is right on all the moms are like, yes, Brooke. Yes. We agree. So, okay, Brooke, here's a sensitive topic for you. Um, how should parents be monitoring what their children are doing online? You know, what about monitoring? What about, is that, is that helicopter parenting? Is that invading the, a child's privacy? Many parents struggle with this and, um, we just need, we just need Brooke's advice. Tell us about monitoring. Is this bad? Should we not be checking their text? Should we not be checking their Google searches? I mean, what should we do about that? I need your help, Brooke. Well, I think monitoring is so important and I think it changes with time as your kids get older. So, an analogy I like to compare it to is when our kids were little and them playing outside. 
when your kid was 18 months old, two years old, two and a half years old, you wouldn't let your kid go out in the front yard without you there to monitor and teach them not to jump in front of the road, not to talk to strangers, um, to share their toys, et cetera. You're there to coach them on how to behave outside. And then as they get older and you'll reach a certain point where maybe you go inside for a few minutes and you go outside and check on them and you're, you're doing spot checks to make sure they're okay. And then eventually like my older kids, they can run outside for a couple hours with their friends and I feel totally fine with them because I know they know how to behave and how to be safe outside without my constant supervision. So the same thought goes with monitoring. When you first give your child um, their own personal device, regardless if it's a tablet or a smartphone, you have to be there with them in the digital arena. You have to show them what's right, what's wrong, what's appropriate, what's inappropriate. And if you're not monitoring what they're doing, you have no idea if they're on the right path or not. And I think it starts with having that conversation with your child that nothing you do online is private, period. Nothing you text is private. Nothing you search is private. And because it's not private, I have to help you navigate these tricky waters to make sure you're making the right decisions and creating a healthy digital footprint. And so at first, the monitoring is going to look different than it will when they're older. And so when my older two first started texting, I was checking their text, you know, probably once every day or every other day, just to make sure we were on track. And we had to have a few conversations like, I saw this in your text. It'd probably be healthier to do it this way. And it doesn't, it's not being a good friend to screenshot a conversation for the one friend and share it with another friend. And it's teaching them how to text. It's teaching them how to do it. And I wouldn't be able to have those conversations with them if I didn't do checks on their, on their tablets. Um, now that they've been texting for a little bit, I don't check every day or every other day. Maybe I do a spot check. I don't know, a couple of times a week or once a week, kind of depending what's going on. And that seems to be working for our family. Uh, but I do think it's important to check their texts, to do some spot checks. If they're on social media, I think it's important to check to see um, what they're posting and who they're following and who's following them. I think all of that's really important. And then as they get older, I mean, that will decrease the frequency of the checks as they get closer to high school graduation. But I think it's so important when they're first learning how to use all this technology to, to monitor what they're doing. And there's services out there too that can help. Um, there's Bark, um, that's one service that can monitor social media and email and text, and they can send you kind of red flag emails if there's any um, issues as far as possible depression or body image issues or um, something related to drugs or alcohol. So I feel like there's there's resources out there to help you if you don't want to be physically checking it. But um, I do think it's important to, to monitor. And I think it gives our kids an out too. Like if your kids know that you monitor their text and they get into an awkward situation texting with somebody, they can easily just say like, hey man, that's not cool. My mom checks my text or no, I can't send you a nude photo. My mom would totally kill me. Like that kind of stuff. It just gives them, I tell my kids all the time, throw me under the bus all you want. That's great. Do that. Cause like that makes it easier for them to say no to stuff like that. Yeah. That's so important. Oh my God. I love it. They can use us as their excuse. It's so good. Yes. So Brooke, this is a, this is a tough one, especially, um, 
I have a boy and a girl. So um, this is a tough one, but how do you help? How did, what is your advice? How do you encourage parents to get their kids ready to encounter inappropriate content online, like pornography? I know you mentioned it quickly earlier, but I wanted to take a little bit more time on this because I have a couple of friends that are going through this right now. And I know that this is just something that we all are going to be facing at some point with our kids. So what's your best advice for parents on that? So you have to have the conversation about all the awkward stuff early and often. And I think that makes a huge difference. So um, since my kids were little, I mean, I've always talked to them about, um, you know, their body and about sex and about good pictures versus bad pictures. Um, there's a book out there, I think it is called Good Pictures, Bad Pictures. And it gives you all the dialogue to talk to them about what pornography is and what to do when you come across it. Um, and so I think it's having those conversations with our kids and letting them know like, hey, when you're online, at some point you're going to encounter um, this type of content. It's inevitable. It's going to happen. I think the average age a child um, sees pornography for the first time is around 10 or 11. It's mm -hmm. really young. And so if you haven't had those conversations, I encourage you to have those conversations with your kids and um, let them know what to do in those situations, which is, you know, put it down, come find the trusted adult, mom or dad or whomever that may be and talk about it and bring an open dialogue to the situation versus shame. Um, but I think having the conversations is a key part of it. And then also setting up your devices for um, the most successful situation as far as filters and um, ways to, as best you can keep the inappropriate content out there. But it is out there and it does find a way to your child. I mean, I did a talk um, last semester and there was a sixth grade group text chain and some kid had shared a link to Pornhub through that. And so it's just, it comes at you from all kinds of different directions. And we have to talk to our kids and let them know that it's gonna happen. And this is what you do when it does happen. And I'm always here to talk to you about it. I'm the authority you wanna to come to, not Google, not Siri, not your friend, but me to talk about these hard, awkward topics. So, mm -hmm. and that's another thing is a lot of parents give their kids these smartphones and they've never even had a conversation about like what sex is with their kids. Like if you're going to give the world to your kid in a small little device, you've got to talk about the big conversations too, before you do that, they have to know what sex is. They have to know about what cyberbullying is. They have to know what pornography is. They have to know what predators are. These are all topics we have to, to discuss with our kids. So they are aware of what can happen online. Yeah, that's so important. Good point. I, I really appreciate that, Brooke. It's so good. So I know a lot of people um, maybe crossed the bridge already and got their kids' um, smartphones before eighth, before eighth grade, um, especially I know with COVID, I know a lot of people yes. that caved maybe earlier than they would have wanted because of COVID, because of the pandemic. So now that they've crossed the bridge early and they didn't wait until eighth, which, you know, it is what it is. It's, it's that, that ship has sailed. How can those parents maybe bring it back in a little bit, maybe reel things in now that, you know, with the pandemic has gotten a little bit better right now, things are, have gotten better. So what is your advice to kind of reel things in, like pull yeah. the reins back a little bit? What's the best advice on that for them? 
So I always encourage parents, regardless of where you are on your journey with your kids and technology, that as a parent, you have the ability and the authority to at any point rein it in. And that is okay. Like we, as parents can change your mind and we can make different decisions and we can rein things in. And so two areas that you can absolutely rein things in is one, if your child has the ability to download apps, I would disable their ability. And you can do that through screen time controls. Um, I would also, if your child is in elementary school or uh, middle school, I would take off the internet browser from that phone. Then I would take a look at what actually is on the phone. If there's 15 games that your kid loves to play, that of course is going to be a distraction to him or her. Um, pare that down. Um, if your kid is on social media, rethink that decision if they're in elementary or middle school. And if you do want to keep them on social media, limit the time that they're able to be on social media. So instead of giving them a blank check, maybe it's limiting them to 10 minutes a day or whatever the healthy boundary is for your family. Um, another key um, boundary that I encourage families to do is to set up the, um, the downtime on the phone so that there's a curfew, whether that's seven o'clock at night, eight o'clock at night, nine o'clock at night, it kicks in. And at that point, the phone should go to mom or dad in a safe spot where it's out of sight, out of mind. Um, no kid should sleep with their phone in their room. It's just not healthy. I do not know of one health expert that recommends that. We shouldn't sleep with our phones in a room. It's just not a healthy practice. And so that's another easy way to, um, to rein it in. And get, then, a, get an old-fashioned alarm clock, right? Yes, yeah. yes. Get an old-fashioned alarm clock. They have them on Amazon for like $10. Um, so all these small steps, they make a big difference. Um, you can also say we put our phones away during homework time. We do device-free um, meals. Uh, when we're in the car, car time is conversation time. It's not time to be scrolling your phone. All these small steps can make a big difference in how much your kid is on their phone. And another key practice I would say is to actually have like a weekly check-in and look at the screen time report and like, okay, let's see how you did with your screen time this week. Looks like you're up in this area or you're down in this area. Good job. It's just making them mindful of like how they're using um, these devices, I think makes a big difference. Yeah, that's really great. Looking at the screen time report. I think that's great. I'm going to look at mine too. <laughs> it's tightening sometimes. <laughs> I need to uh, monitor my own, but yeah. so Brooke, um, what are, what are your favorite resources that you recommend to parents who might want to learn more? And it, you know, obviously going to your website and your Instagram and following all of your, um, amazing stuff on your website, but what are some other resources that you recommend for all of us? Cause we, we need a lot more help all the time, Brooke. Yes, absolutely. So absolutely check out waituntil8th.org. And then we're on Instagram and Facebook and um, Twitter at waituntil8th. And then some other organizations that um, I like to go to a lot. One is um, Common Sense Media. Um, anytime I'm looking at an app, I like to look at their um, reviews. They also do reviews on movies and books. Um, they have great resources for parents. So Common Sense Media. Another one is called Protect Young Eyes. Protect Young Eyes. Protect Young Eyes. Okay, good one. They do fabulous reviews on apps and share different parenting hacks and ways to stay on top of it all. So I think they're great. Um, And then there's another organization called um, Center for Humane Technology. They were featured in that Social Dilemma movie um, and they have some good information on there as well. And what's next? 
Yeah, that's so great. And we're going to put a bunch of those in our, in the show notes, especially um, Brooke's website, because it's so helpful. But Brooke, what's the end goal? What's your, like, what's next for wait until eighth? Like if you had a, you know, a crystal ball, what's ahead for you guys? Well, we're absolutely wanting to just get more awareness out there about the pledge because what we found is that so many parents are struggling with this important decision. And if they just simply knew that we existed and had an easy way to share with their friends and more people would wait. So we'd love for more families to, to join the pledge. And then we're also in the midst of just creating more content and resources to help parents for like where we are on this, this stage that Nina, you and I are in, where we, we have the eighth grader, we have high about to have high schoolers and how do we keep them safe online and how do we teach them how to use all this technology safely, moderately, appropriately. So just really want to come alongside parents and equip them for helping their families stay safe online and making it as easy as possible um, in this overwhelming digital arena that we're all in right now. Yeah, we are. It's, (laughs) it's incredible, but you're so amazing, Brooke. I just, you you know, I've said it before, but you're such an important resource for all parents. And personally, again, I just want to thank you so much for helping me and my husband as we were going through this and not knowing even where to start. So I just want to say thank you so much for all you do. You're making an impact. So remind your three girls that mom is really making an impact, not only in your own house, but for households all around, all across the U.S. So thank you so much, Brooke. And thanks for sharing all of your helpful tips today with us. Thanks again. Thank you, Nina. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to my mom's podcast. Remember, you can find Nina's Got Good News on iTunes and Spotify, also on Google Play, Stitcher, and Outcast. And now we are also on Pandora. Please be sure to subscribe. Also, rate and review all her podcasts, too. And be sure to share it with a friend. The mission of this podcast is to get better together as a community in the audio space. Please follow my mom on Instagram. Her handle is Nina B. Clark. Don't forget, Clark has an E at the end of it. For now, I'm Blaine Clark. Thank you again for listening, and let's just keep being awesome. XOXO.